If you stay standing, we're going to read together from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to gather as your community, as your people, and to dive into your word, to, to seek out the wisdom that you have blessed us with. Lord, we ask that you would bless each one of us on this day so that we are prepared to your, be your people, not just here, but in everywhere that you take us. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to talk a little bit more about vegetables. Um, and there are, some, there are a great many vegetables that I enjoy. And in fact, sometimes uh, Sarah and I have attempted to grow gardens. Now, we're not very good at growing gardens. Uh, when we lived in town here, uh, we, we planted cucumbers, and it was a lot of cucumbers all of a sudden. Uh, we had cucumbers all over the place. And uh, we like cucumbers, but Sarah quickly learned how to pickle. Um, when, we, when we moved up to New Schaeferstown, we did plant a garden plot up there as well. Um, we've been terrible at maintaining it for the last few years because summers are crazy. So we've kind of just kind of let that not happen. But for a while, we were growing lots of green and yellow beans, and we were growing tomatoes, and uh, we had a spice garden. Um, but we've stopped doing all that because of time. Um, but even though I love lots of vegetables, there remain some vegetables that I just do not enjoy. Vegetables that I would probably never choose to plant if I had a garden. I know the value of most vegetables and what benefits they bring to my body. I can tell myself over and over that certain vegetables have certain vitamins or have high fiber or boost energy, and yet I still cannot get myself to consume those vegetables. Consider the sweet potato. You can love sweet potatoes. I do not. <laughs> I know a great many things about this root vegetable. I only love sweet potatoes. Let me tell you, I love sweet potatoes when there's so much marshmallow and brown sugar in them that they're no longer good for you. <laughs> but anyway, I do know a lot about this root vegetable. Um, as a runner, I know that sweet potatoes are considered one of the top five foods for runners, which means I should eat them, but I don't like to. I know that they are full of potassium, uh, and potassium is one of those things that we lose, one of the three things that we lose when we sweat a lot. We lose potassium, sodium, and water. So I know that it restores potassium when I'm sweating a lot. I know sweet potatoes are high in both vitamin A and vitamin C. Both of these vitamins aid in immune health, something that we probably all want is to be healthy. Um, vitamin A also assists in strengthening vision, and vitamin C functions as an antioxidant, emptying the body of toxins, toxins that build up, particularly when you exercise. You know, the achiness you sometimes feel in your muscles when you exercise, that's, an, that's the uh, toxins. And when you eat antioxidants, they get rid of those toxins. So I know all of these benefits of eating sweet potatoes, yet I tend not to eat sweet potatoes. I just find their flavor unappealing. I should pursue them 
and I should choose to eat them, but I don't. If I was a gardener, I don't think I'd ever plant sweet potatoes. The reason being, even though I know their benefit for life, even though I know they are good for me, I just don't enjoy them. Sometimes I wonder if we as the church approach our spiritual life, much as I approach sweet potatoes. We know all the benefits of the spiritual life. We've heard it for our whole lives, how necessary it is to pursue after God, to spend time with God. We are called to spend time with God. We've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We've tasted and we've experienced the goodness of God. We've thrived in God's community and benefited from his great love, yet we do not yearn after the sweetness of his word or gulp down the blessings that are ours because of his salvation. This is the challenge that Peter lays before us this morning. Um, in Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at Peter chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, uh, verse 3. And uh, in this section, we are called to be the community of God. We are called to be present in his garden. He provides us with nourishment to grow within this garden. Do we take advantage of this nourishment that God has placed before us? Or do we fail to take advantage of the nutrients that he provides Let's consider Peter's message up to this point. In order to understand where he is calling us as the church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 2, verse 3. Originally, Peter writes to an audience that faces impending persecution. The Christian peoples were not thought highly of uh, in the Roman Empire because their religion was considered an offshoot of Judaism and thus not considered an acceptable religion. It was neither a state-sponsored religion, like the worship of the emperors, nor was it an ethnic religion, like Judaism, or some of the other religions that existed in the provinces. So, it was not considered acceptable. Therefore, the people were persecuted. In this regard, Christians often experienced alienation and um, off, uh, eventually great persecution. And I think Peter knew that this great persecution was coming. Peter's writing from Rome. I think he, he sees what's coming. And he says, you know what? I need to prepare the church. And that's what the book of 1 Peter is about. It's about preparing the church, getting the church ready to stand strong when things start to turn against the gospel. When the world pushes the Christian away. That's what 1 Peter is about. So Peter writes the words of his letter seeking to give directives on how to be the church in the world. How to grow the seed of Christ that is planted within us. At this point in his correspondence, uh, where we're entering in at verse one, or chapter 1, verse 22. At this point, Peter has reminded his readers that they are born anew through the gift of Jesus Christ. In this, they are to seek holy lives. Verse 22 continues this thought. Peter reminds the church that they have been purified because they have obeyed the truth. This action describes those who make up the true church. Those who obey the truth have experienced purification 
of themselves through the action of Jesus Christ. This is an action taking once that has far-reaching effects into the future, in fact, into eternity. Once we receive Christ into our lives, it affects us forever. It changes us forever. We cannot grow as Christ's people in God's garden without first believing in the truth of Jesus Christ. Know this, if you have not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, you remain unpurified. You remain absent from God's community. Peter continues by declaring that God's community should be a community of love. The truth is manifested in our lives as God's people, as the church, in that we show love for one another. Thus Peter writes, Have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. Sincere love is honest and absent from self-seeking motivation. Loving someone deeply means to love them strenuously or persistently. The, the, the adjective there, deeply in the Greek, means strenuous and persistent. Love in the community of Christ takes effort. Sometimes loving in this way hurts. Sometimes loving in this way leaves us breathless, looking at wonder, in wonder at what Christ is doing in our relationships. This is the primary mark of growth as followers of Christ. When we have accepted the truth and been purified through Christ's blood, we respond in love for one another. This is a true mark of the church. If we do not love one another deeply, we fail to honor Christ. We fail to grow in God's garden. Peter continues to emphasize this strenuous love and how it is connected to our new birth in Christ. He declares that we love because we have an imperishable seed growing within us. Love within God's community is the primary fruit of this imperishable seed that's been planted within us by our belief in the word of God, our belief in the gospel. If any one of us holds hatred in our heart for someone, for anyone, we must question if the seed of God, if the gospel truly reigns in our heart. If any one of us persists in making choices that tear others down, we need to question if the seed of Christ is germinating within us. It is at this point that Peter quotes from the passage we read together from Isaiah. The audience to whom Isaiah wrote his words had just received a message of judgment. Isaiah has just declared in chapter 39 of his his prophecy that the people of Israel are going to be sent into exile. That they are being judged because they have rebelled against God. Because they have not held to the covenant of God. So God is very justly sending them into exile. They've just heard this word. And they are broken. And into this brokenness, God speaks. In chapter 40, Isaiah offers a word of hope, a word of comfort. There will come a day 
of God's deliverance. There will come a day of God's salvation. There will come a day when God will return the people from exile. There will come a day where God is victorious. That is the word of hope. All mankind will see the glory of the Lord. In Isaiah's day, the words we read together are words of hope, declaring that even though destruction comes, even though exile comes, even though judgment comes, God's word stands forever. God is faithful. Even though grass withers and flowers fall, the word of the Lord stands true. That word is that God will bring future deliverance even as the people face the prospect of exile from the promised land. Peter uses these, these same words, this quote from Isaiah, to emphasize that God's promise has come true for the people of God. Even as the church of Asia Minor in the first century faces injustice, even as, as they face impending persecution, God remains true to his word. God is faithful. God offers deliverance through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the church needs to live in response to this hope that is ours through Jesus Christ, to the fact that God's word is eternal. We need to live in response to this. And that response manifests itself in sincere love, in deep love, love that is fought for, love that goes against the natural ways of the world. God's word cannot flourish in the heart of the church if the church does not spend sincere effort on loving one another. This message speaks to us. God's word of hope stands forever and comes true through the work of Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus Christ, the word is planted in our hearts to flourish forever, growing ever onward. We have a hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Let us live out this hope, not in fear, not in past betrayals, not dwelling on the hurt that we've experienced, not dwelling on our pain, not emphasizing the differences that we perceive we have, but knowing that we are all saved through the grace of and love of Jesus Christ. Let us love because we have been purified through our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter follows this declaration of hope and our able response of love by looking at five vices, five things that inhibit our growth. Chapter 2, verse 1, calls the people of Jesus Christ to rid ourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now the verb translated here, rid ourselves, um, actually means to put off. This verb has to do with taking off old soiled clothing, that which is dirty and filthy, setting it aside and putting on new garments, on clean garments. In the early church, this image was taken very literally. Many in the process of baptism would shed old clothing and be donned in new, clean gowns, symbolically declaring that they have been purified through Christ, that they have put off the old life and put on something new through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
those who have been purified through belief in Christ have divested themselves of sinful attitudes, destructive habits, and selfish ways, and instead display Christ's love within community. Therefore, we, the church of Jesus Christ, are called to put off love-destroying attitudes and behaviors. We must put off malice, those attitudes in our hearts which desire to hurt others or prove ourselves better than others or destroy others because we are absolutely sure that we are right and they are wrong. Put that away. Take it off. We are called to put off deceit, those attitudes which deceive and mislead others. I have known people who have used their businesses, good Christian people have used their businesses to deceive and cheat others. Put that aside. Take it off. We must put off hypocrisy, pretending to be different from what we really are. Too often, the church claims moral superiority. Too often, too often we claim absolute assurance when we live just as broken, just as immoral as everyone else around us. We need to put off envy, stop longing for what others have. And be satisfied with the blessings that Christ has offered to you. We need to put off slander. We rarely imagine how our words cut others down. Or how our method of declaring our political opinions belittle those with different opinions. Or how our self-righteousness destroys further someone who already feels cast aside, ashamed, or unacceptable. These are the behavior that, behaviors that Peter demands we cast aside, that we take off so that we can love in response to God's work in our lives. So that the seed of God's righteousness might grow into a garden of God's love within his community, within the church. This growth begins with the seed of God's word to which we respond. We respond by pruning away that which is diseased so that God's love becomes manifest in our lives, and in our community. In this action, our lives become witness to the transformative power of our Lord and Savior. This then leads to verse 2 in chapter 2, where Peter compares us to newborn infants who crave pure spiritual milk. Milk in this passage refers to the true word of God, that is necessary for growth as a Christian. Just as a newborn infant deeply desires, deeply craves nourishment only provided by that infant's mother. To enable physical growth, so we should deeply desire the true teaching from the word of God to enable growth as God's church. As we consider this milk that Peter speaks of, we, we notice that this milk has an adjective connected to it, pure. That which has no additives. Hasn't been mixed with anything else. Just recently, this week in fact, Cyanna asked me, Dad, what's the difference between milk that we buy in the grocery store and raw milk? She must have saw a sign somewhere. And I explained to her that, well, raw milk is the milk that's directly from the cow. And you, and you buy it from the farmer and you drink it. My grandparents, actually, we, they were dairy farmers and we would go up to the farm and 
and uh, use the big milk tank cooler and get some of that raw milk, and man, was it delicious. Um, and then I said to her, I said, but the milk we buy in the store has all these additives, and they're supposed to be really good for us. They may or may not be, but it has all these additives. And this is exactly what Peter is speaking of here. Sometimes we like to add things to the Bible. Too often we allow the ideas of the world, the philosophies of our society, the practices of our nations, the rhetoric of certain political figures to be intermingled with the gospel message. In allowing these worldly ideologies to inform God's word, we're craving something impure. Each of us needs to consider if the social and political philosophies we cling to truly reflect God's desires for our lives. Sometimes we approach things a little backwards, allowing worldly ideologies to interpret Scripture rather than allowing Scripture to, approach how, to interpret how we should approach the world. Only by craving pure spiritual milk can we have the strength to overcome that which hinders our ability to love. If we do not spend time seeking after God's word, if we do not deeply desire in our lives the truth of the gospel, then growth cannot happen. Many of us know this. Many of us know that time spent in God's word is certainly beneficial for the soul. Many of us know that hiding God's word in our hearts enables us to overcome temptation. Many of us know that immersing ourselves in the scriptures enables us to prune away that which inhibits growth. Many of us know the benefits of allowing God's word to shape our decisions, our morals, our motivations. Yet, we do not truly crave the pure spiritual milk. We do not awaken every morning with a deep desire to seek after God's word, to crack open our Bibles and just spend time knowing God and his will for our lives. Instead, much like my approach to sweet potatoes, we are aware of the benefit of studying and knowing and hiding God's word in our hearts. We're aware of that, but we fail to consume that which God provides. Peter declares that for the church to grow, for us to be the people of love we are called to be, for us to set aside behaviors that inhibit love, we must crave the word of God. We have indeed tasted, if we have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have indeed tasted the Lord, and we have tasted that the Lord is good. We have experienced the joy of salvation. We have grasped the goodness of God, and we have discovered hope. Yet we still delve into behaviors of malice, Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. We still allow the philosophies of this world to shape our choices, lifestyles, and opinions. We still long after that which satisfies temporally, rather than longing after the word of the Lord that lasts forever. Do we want, a people that, do we want to be a people that flourish in God's garden? Do we want the seed that God plants in our lives to germinate and produce good fruit? If the answer is yes, 
we must respond to God's amazing gift of purification by living in love. If we cannot love in this community, we cannot love in a world that is often hostile to the gospel. In order to love completely in reflection of God, we must set aside behaviors that destroy life and that destroy relationships. In order to do this, we must truly and completely, with our whole beings, crave after the word of God, the nourishing word of God. The vices listed in this passage arise in the life of the Christian community when we do not long for and seek after the word of God. Search your heart this morning and consider what place the word of God has within it. Does your Bible collect dust until Sunday morning when you brush it off and bring it to church? Or do you dig into it daily, seeking God's guidance, discovering God's power to overcome the vices in our lives? Do we take advantage of the opportunities that are before us to study God's word, whether they're opportunities here in this community, like Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday school or youth group or other opportunities, or studying the Bible with other groups of Christians? Do you reach in the morning? Do you reach for your Bible first? Or do you reach for your phone first? Or do you reach for your newspaper first or a book? What do you reach for first when you get out of bed? Consider if you hunger after the pure spiritual milk or if you try to satiate your hunger with things that are less filling, things that will not nourish your soul, things that will not produce growth. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us guidance in this life. You don't leave us just to flop about trying to figure it out on our own. But you have blessed us, Lord. And we thank you and praise you for this. Lord, we pray that you would open in our hearts a deeper desire, an ever-deepening desire to know you, to know your word, to draw that word into us so that we might better live as your people, as your community, the church. Bless us now, Lord, as we go forth as your people. Bless us in the name of God the Father who is present with us. Bless us in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord who saves us, who offers us hope and grace. Bless us, bless us in the name of the Holy Spirit who guides each step of our way if only we depend on him. Bless us now, Lord. Let us go as your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.